This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Primal Screen, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the virtual studio are Sally Christie. Hello, hello, Paul. And a warm welcome back to special guest star all the way from Radelaide, Stewie Richards. Yay! Hello, thank you for having me. Technically, I'm not welcomed back. This is my Primal Screen debut. Debut. That is true. Under the new banner. It's really um, exciting to have you back, Stewie, and also because of this uh, crazy virtual studio that we have, um, you're in Adelaide and it doesn't matter. I know. I'm in freezing cold Adelaide so I can still be there in the studio. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so lovely to have you. And, um, yes, and we are honoured to be popping your metaphorical primal screen cherry. (laughs) I'm excited and prepped and ready. (laughs) So we're going to pay cinematic tribute to the city we broadcast from and love, a city inextricably linked to the history, ethos and fabric of this here station by looking back at three very different films made in Melbourne. There were so many to choose from. I feel like we might return to this theme sometime into the future. Yeah, I think think we should definitely. It was way way too hard. I think we should do another Made in Melbourne special soon. There needs to be a volume two, and yeah, and so. and maybe if you know some of the streamers add some more titles to their uh, catalogs because yeah. there's a few we really wanted to do that we just couldn't find. Yes, yeah, I really wanted to include Love and Other Catastrophes. That's uh, one of my favourite Melbourne films, but it's really hard to track down. Yeah, other ones Did- we we wanted were um, was Head On was another one that I thought would have been great to cover, but also not so easily accessible. Um, so, yeah, there were, there were lots. There was This was a, a big week of debate over what films we were going to look at. Yeah, it's it's really tough. I mean, because obviously, you know, we need they need to be streaming for our listeners to have access to them. And, yeah, some of those key titles. So no Melbourne Uni feels for you this week, Stewie, unfortunately. <laughs> 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 <Sadly> no. <laughs> but I tell you what we, what we do have... We are going to be making bad decisions with Sam Neill in John Ruan's 1990 proto-slacker comedy, Death in Brunswick. Then we'll brace for nuclear Armageddon with Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, and an all-star cast with Stanley Kramer's 1959 classic, On the Beach. And we'll end by taking a trip to the suburb of Holmesville, which looks a lot like Hopper's Crossing. Where William McInnes, Lisa McCune, Ian Harold from Neighbours Smith, and more undergo some drastic physical changes in Philip Brophy's 1993 satirical cult splatterfest, Body Melt. But now it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. 
So this last week, we saw the sudden passing of Indian acting great Irfan Khan, famous for playing the detective in Slumdog Millionaire, the lead in Indian crossover hit The Lunchbox, as well as US blockbusters The Amazing Spider-Man and Jurassic World. Uh, Khan died of colon cancer at the age of just 53. This week also saw the tragic passing of writer-director John Lafia, most famous for co-writing the 1988 horror classic Child's Play, which gave the world the murderous Chucky doll, and directed its first sequel, Child's Play 2, as well as The Blue Iguana and Man's Best Friend. Uh, Lafia unfortunately took his own life at the age of 63. And a hidden giant of the American comedy industry, Matty Simmons, who published the famed National Lampoon magazine and produced the films to come out of that brand, such as Animal House and Vacation, and in turn launched a generation of American comic geniuses onto an unsuspecting world, passed away at the age of 93. After previously announcing its complete cancellation, the Sydney Film Festival will now go ahead in a smaller and all-digital format next month. The virtual festival will run from June uh, June 10th to 21st, with a program including world premieres of compelling true stories from Australian documentary filmmakers, a program of shorts from rising stars of the Australian film industry, and films from European film uh, female directors, and they'll be hosting prize events for all three of those strands. Uh, it's being touted as a national event, but it isn't yet known whether the event is uh, to be paid and ticketed or free to the public or available internationally. Details of the lineup and ticket sales procedures will be unveiled on May 27th. Another film festival going online, and one that's quite dear to my heart, is the Setting Sun Film Festival, which is one of Melbourne's premier short film fests. And uh, our film Trench was actually the first feature to ever show at the Setting Sun Film Festival. They gave us our world premiere. So they're sweet folks who really love them. Um, yeah, they, they are. The Setting Sun Film Festival is definitely a great one to get behind and it's really exciting that they're, you know, going all online so that we can access it. Absolutely. So from May 6th to May 12th, their seventh edition will be screening in an abridged version online and free of charge, featuring seven program strands, including a dedicated program for youth filmmakers and a $1,000 prize for female filmmakers donated by famed producer Sue Maslin. You'll be able to see this year's films at the Setting Sun Film Festival's website, settingsun.com.au. Thanks in no small part to its entire potential audience being forced to stay at home, the Chris Hemsworth starring action film Extraction looks set to become Netflix's most watched original movie in their short history, with an estimated 90 million downloads in its first four weeks of release. Basically, if 90 million people... I've never even heard of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Netflix way. Just drop it and run. If 90 million people had bought a ticket in the US at average prices, it would be a gross of 820 million US dollars. Wow. Which which is crazy. He thanked his fans in a video taped from home and said he's very interested in returning as his character, Tyler Rake, when the time comes. (laughs) Wow. Tyler Rake? Tyler Tyler Rake. Rake. Tyler Rake. Kicking ass all through India, apparently. Um, (laughs) And finally, the entire Australian screen sector, including the MEAA, Screen Producers Australia, and the Australian Writers uh, Australian Writers and Directors Guilds have thrown their weight behind a unique program to petition the government to support our screen industries. 
The Great Australian Binge gives the viewing public the chance to vote online for the Australian film or show they've loved watching in lockdown, with your vote automatically signing a petition calling on Arts Minister Paul Fletcher to do more to support the people who make the entertainment Australia loves. To cast your vote, head to greataustralianbinge.com.au and voice your support for our screen industries. I voted for Frontline because I just love that show. Uh, (laughs) Now, join us in the living room as we hit play on our first film of the night. Why is he so limp? I thought they went stiff. Nah, they don't go like that for hours yet, thank Christ. Jesus Christ, Carl! Sorry. Hang on. Deforenza. This'll do. Put it down. I'm just gonna go and get a shovel and a crowbar. You stay here. Don't move. Dave, can I come with you? I don't, I don't want to stay here with... Don't worry. He can't hurt you now. Death in Brunswick from 1990, was the first full-length feature film directed by John Ruan. He'd had some sort of hour-length feature film, two hour-length films before that, but this was his first full-length. A reserved man in need of a job, Carl Fitzgerald, played by Sam Neill, finds employment at a Greek restaurant, meets and quickly begins dating a young Greek-Australian waitress named Sophie, played by Zoe Karides. Although it seems things are looking up for Carl, an unexpected situation leads to the death of a somewhat shady kitchen hand, and Carl enlists the help of his buddy, Dave, played by John Clark, to help him dispose of the body and deal with the situation, as it seems like more and more people want more than a, a more than quiet word with Carl. Stewie, as someone who's been living in the city of churches for the last year and change, did this slice of Brun, Brunswickian oddities have you pining for home? <laughs> It did, actually. Uh, so before I moved to Adelaide, I lived in the wonderful suburb of Brunswick West. Uh, so re-watching this uh, did make me homesick for Brunswick. Um, I couldn't pick the exact locations where it was shot, so I had to do some Googling to figure out where it was filmed. But um, yeah, the, I guess the general kind of vibe of the streets and the, the shops and... Uh, the clientels and the people uh, really did make me homesick. Yeah, it has that has that feel, and there's a few that really kind of stick out as well in terms of um, the uh, the old. It was called the Bombay Rock at the time, yeah. and it's been through various uh, name changes now. Um, yeah, that that's a location that really sticks out as yeah. kind of yeah. I go past there all the time. Um, but yeah, how did you uh, how did you find this thirty years on? I. I think looking back, I think the nostalgia of it is certainly something to appreciate. Uh, John Clark and Sam Neill, um, I guess the the bro comedy that they have, it, it certainly made me miss John Clark. Um, I think he is the standout of this film. Um, in saying that, though, I don't think this film could be made today in its current form. Um, one thing that I guess it's famous for is really shining a light on the multicultural nature of Brunswick. Uh, but this film is told entirely from a white perspective or an Anglo perspective. We do get lots of uh, non-Anglo characters, but um, they are all relegated to this uh, this like Greek and Italian kind of warring background. Uh, that you know that our lovable, funny white characters or Anglo characters have to navigate. Um, 
Uh, so that's one thing that I found quite stark when watching this mm. is that all of the the non-Anglo characters are these sort of extreme caricatures uh, in the background. Um, and also the the significant age, age difference between Sam Neill and Zoe Caritas, as well as um, something to make note of, I would say. I, I, I think, um, what is it? She's 19 and he's 34. 34. That's, I mean, like, you know, 15 years. It's, I mean, it is a notable age difference. I will this, say, too, when the film was shot, they were 42 and 28. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, um, so she was 28. Oh, she, looks, she does look like she's 19 in it. Mm. She does she look like She really does. And there is the really telling line when Sam Neill says that, you know, why couldn't I have met you a few years ago? And she's like, well, I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think the age thing is played in a way where we're not meant to be that okay with it. Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of how how it came across to me, especially with that line where she says, well, I would have yeah. been in school. And um, it, it gets brought up again with um, his friend saying, how old is she? How old yeah. is she? And him yeah. intentionally ignoring the question. So I guess this is something that we, I guess um, this character perhaps has, you know, dabbled in before. But um, yeah. Also the fact that he's kind of an overgrown child himself. Yes, he is. Yes. But um, I such a treat watching Death in Brunswick because I like Stewie did. I, I live in Brunswick. Um, uh, Paul I know is also a Moorland resident. We're, yes, Coburg, slightly afield. Yep. So we're we all kind of live in the in the area. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of see how much Brunswick still looks exactly the same. Yeah. Like really, really interesting. Um, one thing that did sort of make my heart break a little was it's been like the scenes where one of the major locations, like Paul said, is Bombay Rock, um, which closed down, oh, I would say about three months ago and it was my favourite music venue to go to in Melbourne and, um, you know, such a big supporter of local live music and it suddenly closed its doors very, very suddenly. So that was, um, it made me a little bit sad to see back in Bombay rock there, but yeah, it it is. It's a, I I really like this movie. I think it's a neat, tight little comedy. Um, There's not a lot to it. There's not a lot of, you know, depth or anything to it, but it is completely enjoyable um it's interesting though Stu, what you're saying about the way that how it's ang- uh, navigated through you know an anglo perspective which it really it really is and it really plays up on i guess what brunswick back in the 90s was known for um yeah. you know this he, he even accidentally starts almost like a gangland war at one point <laughs> which of course you know brunswick was known for so really <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's just a really fun, neat little comedy, I think. My favourite line in the film is when Sophie says, Dad thinks I'm a slut. And like, this is Australia, Soph. Yes, I know. <laughs> you can be a slut if you want. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Yes, you can. <laughs> 
I shockingly had never seen this film before. Oh, really? Somehow missed me first time yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just made me laugh. Like, there's a moment, there is there is a fart joke at one point. And I remember <laughs> my friends and I in high school had this had this gag that it was obligatory. Like, like the Film Finance Corporation wouldn't rubber stamp your script unless you put a fart joke in it. Like, <laughs> it's like every single Australian comedy of the period, The Big Steel had one. You know, like, like they all had to have one. Um, and that was Death in Brunswick's uh, yeah. to get the funding, obviously. <laughs> um, I really saw this coming to it 30 years on. It really feels like a proto slacker comedy to me. Like, I feel like you, yeah. you could actually yeah. draw a line between this and a film we watched last year, Cell, Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, I, yeah, I loved Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, so I really, and but that whole sort of thing about this sort of inert, luckless loser probably too old to be doing the things he's doing and should have his life together by now. Yep. Sort of stumbling through life, getting involved in these sort of petty criminal situations, reacting to characters around him, having to be kind of, and um, and sort of going, you know, tumbling through this kind of uh, cas- uh, cascade of misfortune. And, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's something that would become a very popular story shape in the 90s in particular. Yeah, you're right. There are it's lots of, like, of very strong parallels with that, definitely. Yeah, you're right, Paul. Mm. And, I, and I sort of found that really interesting. Um, I found it really charming. Uh, it's, it does have this kind of wild charm about it. I like that it satirises the kind of... The, Sort of the, uh, I guess the uh, you know the the tensions, it's always simmering below uh, a multicultural inner city suburb, yeah, yeah. and not just between whites and everyone else, but between other cultures. Like you know, the owner of the club is going on about what he thinks of Turks and all this sort of mm-hmm. thing, and and so there's this constant kind of you know, it's like the grievances are often as as apt to be from the old country as they are developed, mm-hmm. you know, since they've moved. Um, and so I thought that was really cool. And like just characters ending were ending sentences with the word but, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> she did but she went over there, but you know, it's like things like that. Just feels like these people have lived here, they know this. Yeah. Um I really loved those sort of touches. Um yeah. I loved one, one touch that I particularly really loved in this was um, them at the cinema watching The Howling 3, the Australian yes. Howling. And I love Sophie saying that it was okay for her to leave because she's already seen it three times before. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved they were showing a kid, a kitty. Yeah, I know. I thought that was it was all children in the cinema and they're screening The Howling 3. <laughs> <laughs> and that is that was filmed at the Progress Theatre, which is literally two yeah. streets away from me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I always, I often drive past and think, I wonder how much it would cost to reopen that as a, uh, like a retro venue. Um, then saw it in this and felt a great <laughs> pang of uh, need. But yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I just thought, yeah, it, it is like, it's probably slightly long for what it needs to be. It is lighter than air. There's, as you said, Sal, Do you think? Not I'm, a lot. I'm always such a complainer of um, runtime of films, but I think that the run, this was, you think it's not, you think it's spot on? It's not fine for me. I do think they needed more of that uh, that kind of that comedy between Dave and Samuel. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, Stewie. I think the dynamics between them uh, were great. Also, mm-hmm. oh, one thing, another thing that I loved, which I was like, oh, it's such a Brunswick touch, was Dave's wife and her reclaim <laughs> the night T-shirt. Yes. yes. So she's she's played by Deborah Kennedy, 
And yeah. my boyfriend Josh picked up on this. I didn't. She's um, from the Yellow Pages ad that said "Not Happy Jam." Oh, it is oh, too. That was That's her. not happy yeah. jam. We've got. A, I know her from a lots of films, else from, but I forgot she's in that ad. We've got someone else from another very famous Australian ad coming up in a film we'll talk about later. We yes. do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, she's terrific, Deborah Kennedy. She's always oh, she's good. always good when she pops into things. I loved like this. So it sees both Sam Neill and John Clark kind of playing against type to a certain amount here, because yeah. mm. Sam Neill is not someone that kind of plays you know luckless losers. He often plays people who try to control their lives and have circumstances wrench them out of that control. But he doesn't normally play people quite so dim. Um, <laughs> And John Clark's character is almost heroic at times. Like he seems yes. to kind of work his way out of situations. He's he's very resourceful. Like he beats up the bouncer, he disposes of the body, like like <laughs> in that sort of laconic way of his, but he seems to kind of have this, you know, he's not a deal. He stamps mm. on a corpse. That's what such what a mate. <laughs> and an incredibly realistic looking corpse, I have to add, too. I genuinely yeah. recoiled when I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly um, is a realistic call. Uh, probably. Nah, it's not, <laughs> of course not. Just verite, just do it. Um, <laughs> I also wanted to note, just before we end on this, um, it was shot between the 15th of January and 5th of March 1990. I reckon this has got some claim to being the first Australian feature film shot during the 90s. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. It possibly yeah. does. It's interesting. Ninety three was. Uh, oh, sorry. This is oh, body melts. Ninety three. Okay, I'll talk about ninety three later. This yeah. is nineteen ninety. Yeah. I was like, surely there's more before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figure. You know, productions don't get started till a couple of weeks into the year. So fifteenth mm. of fifteenth uh, of Jan, that scans. So yeah, yeah. good on you, yeah. Death in Brunswick, bouncing the ball on Melbourne for the nineties. Uh, wow. So Death in Brunswick is now streaming on SBS On Demand and Amazon Prime Video. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Stuart Richards and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, pour yourself something nice and come join us for our second film of the evening. We're all doomed, you know. The whole silly, drunken, pathetic lot of us. Doomed by the air we're about to breathe. On the Beach from 1959 was the fourth feature film directed by Stanley Kramer. In the aftermath of an atomic war, much of humanity has been destroyed. Only Australia remains, but time is short as the winds will inevitably spread nuclear fallout and everybody knows they only have a few months to live. Among those coming to terms with the inevitable are a U.S. Navy officer, Commander Dwight Towers, played by Gregory Peck, whose submarine and crew were at sea when the Holocaust occurred, Moira Davidson, played by Ava Gardner, a free spirit who develops a close attachment to Towers, Julian Osborne, played by Fred Astaire, whose dream is to win the Australian Grand Prix automobile race, and Lieutenant Commander Peter Holmes, played by Anthony Perkins, who is as concerned about his wife and newborn child's future as his own. To uh, the frequent soundtrack of Waltzing Matilda, all cope with the inevitability of death in their own way and struggle in various ways with Australian accents. Sally, did you find Melbourne to be the perfect place to stage the end of the world? 
Isn't that what? Isn't that what they they said that Ava Gardner had said? Which it is apparently like, apocryphal. It was um, it was a writer at the time who interviewed her and couldn't quite get a quote, and so, so made one up. yeah, basically made one up. But apparently, those were her sentiments. Those Mel- were her sentiments. Uh, like it wasn't was a direct quote, but they were still her sentiments of Melbourne. Wasn't it? When, uh, didn't Jerry Seinfeld say that? Um, Melbourne was the arse end of the world or something like that, and everyone lost their mind over that too. And, yeah. he, and he was literally like, I just meant like geographically, like if Greenland is the head, you know, we're the arse. Like, they, didn't, they didn't see it that way. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is such, a, again, a really interesting film to look back on. It's so, it's so like cool to go and see Melbourne in 1959 to see, you know, Linda Street Station, to see the State Library, to see all these places. Um, it's it's pretty incredible. And this is a huge Hollywood movie with this huge cast that apparently I think it was would have been an absolute nightmare for them to film because there were people hanging around all the time. They were trying to film it. Um, it is... I do like this film. This is one of those films where I do have complaints about length. (laughs) But on the whole, I I think Kramer is a really great director because he was so, um, I guess, progressive with the subjects that he tackled in his films. And this film, by um, all means, is very bleak uh, and quite shocking. I imagine that in 1959 it would have been extra shocking Mm. it still feels you know quite shocking to watch now um it's really easy to be starstruck with this movie Mm. I love Anthony Perkins so much I just uh, he this was a year before Psycho wasn't it Psycho's 1960 yeah yeah before Psycho um I can't take my eyes off him when he's on the screen I just think he's absolutely phenomenal Anthony Perkins in his little summer sh- linen short shorts in the opening scene are worth the ticket price alone. <laughs> I've just got to say, the whole time you were talking about how beautiful Anthony Perkins is, uh, Sal, Stewie was nodding so vociferously. I thought his <laughs> head was going to tumble off of his shoulders. But it's true. <laughs> he's so, I just find him he's to be beautiful. such, such a captivating presence on screen. And um, there, like I said, it's really easy to be bedazzled by this film because there are so many huge stars in it. I mean, Giant Gregory stars. Peck, uh, Fred Astaire in this kind of role is, I, I think he's phenomenal in this movie. Apparently this was his first non-musical performance. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that too and they were kind of concerned about how um, he would, you know, sort of pull it off. But I really, really enjoy him in this role. Um, The film at times, yeah, it does feel a little bit long in the tooth. It feels like it could have been made sort of a a bit tighter. Um, That's sort of my only downfall for this movie is... um, but, yeah, I feel like it could be half an hour shorter. But it is, yeah, really phenomenal and such a nice little time capsule Melbourne. And, God, what a experience it would have been here to see when this film was being made. And I think, it, where did it premiere at the Regent? Yep. Did they have a big premiere there? It, it premiered in seven continents at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, the same oh, day. Wow. Yeah. 
Uh, it was uh, over the December 17th, 1959, premiered simultaneously mm-hmm. in 18 theatres on all seven continents. Yep. Like, yeah. Like, wow. it, it's sort of the underscore it's. Mm-hmm. you know, sort of theme of we're all in this together and trying to – I think it was Stanley Kramer's mission to help us avert the apocalypse. Interesting uh, watching this film as well in this current climate that we're in too. Yeah. <laughs> kind of and go, okay, so it's made in 59. And, you know, very suitable to what's going on at the moment, I guess, in some way, shape and form. Stewie? Yeah, I think this is um, – I, I agree its length is uh, – half but it is about half an hour too long um i also i was quite shocked at how rough some of the camera work is as well uh there's a few moments when i was actually taken aback by sort of how bad some of the the camera movement is and how sort of out of focus some shots are um not to knock stanley kramer though um (laughs) do you think some of that was kind of verite though it's interesting because some of it is so beautifully composed yeah particularly shots of close-ups are incredible but then there's scenes like there's there's a long conversation between uh, peck and and perkins where they're just following them for seemingly forever on a track and they like they go into shadow and are like completely blacked out Mm. you can't see their faces for a good Mm. 20 seconds and then they re-emerge and it's almost like let's just follow them wherever they go Let's yeah. not bother lighting it. Let's not bother. Let's and I don't know. And some of the city scenes as well, like particularly some of the crowd scenes toward the end, feel like somebody's just thrown a news camera in there and kind of. Yeah. I don't know whether that. Yeah, whether that mm. is a is a verite feel they're going for or just time constraints. Yeah. I don't know. I think Ava Gardner's incredible in this film. Yeah, she, she is. Yep, they yeah. all are. I mean, they all. Yeah. Um, and I love the use of Watson Matilda throughout. I thought it was going to get really hammy and annoying. I found it. I did find it really hammy. But yeah, I, I did too. I found it, I was quite moved. Where I mean, the, it's used as a motif throughout the film, and they alter the tune to be joyful in some parts and really sad and morose and mm. and, and grim in other parts. And I really like that. And. Mm-hmm. The bit when they, um, when Gregory Peck and Ava Gardner go fishing towards the end on their holiday, and like as like there's a really great uh, tracking shot across the river of all of the holiday goers, and they're all singing this really upbeat uh, version of Waltzing Matilda, and it's I think it's the first time we hear the lyrics of Waltzing Matilda. It is. Yeah. Is that when they're fishing? Yeah. 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 yeah, and and then the song continues, and then towards the end, more you know, sadder aspect of Waltzing Matilda, we get the I, I guess this really um, quite sad, intimate scene between the two in their hotel room, um, and I found that quite a powerful kind of transition of the song from being happy to sad, um, and of course the end as well, those shots of this, the streets of Melbourne to Waltzing Matilda being completely empty. Um, I thought it was quite powerful to revisit that, given, you know, I yeah, see it. I, it's yeah. interesting putting it that way, Stewie. It makes me kind of see it in a different light. When mm. I was watching this, I was just kind of thinking, oh, they're making use of Waltzing Matilda to remind us that we're in Australia. We're in Australia. <laughs> that That's kind of <laughs> how I read it. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's also I found it really interesting that they choose to shoot this film on location. Yeah. Um, Because it didn't necessarily have to be shot here. They could have, you know, got away with 
just saying it was Australia, like with Point Break that we looked at last week. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't have the cooperation of the US military. Yeah. Okay, okay. So that's, yeah. yep. Okay. Which I think may have had an, uh, an impact on it, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, the ACMI, the Australian Centre of the Moving Image, have a great essay on this. Um, yep. I forget who wrote it, but like it's a really good production essay, production mm-hmm. essay on the background of it. Apparently Ava Gardner um, was fed up and done with the crowds that were impacting the shoots. And apparently she had some very colourful words for the the onlookers uh, getting to shut up, and there were some words that they may have not have heard of before. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a documentary made by Lawrence Johnston a few years yeah. ago called Fallout, which screened at the ACMI as well, and they were screening both on the beach and Fallout yeah. together. At and one then point. the essay would have accompanied that. Mm. Yeah, went into some of that stuff and mm. Ava Gardner's displeasure with the whole thing. Um, yeah, I. I'm sort of mixed on the yeah the, the waltzing Matilda thing. Like I I, I do kind of like it when when films have a have a song and and create the score and all the elements of the music around that song and extrapolate that and use it at different moods and pitches. I actually quite like that as a device. I think it is a I think it is re- kind of overused here, but I do agree, Stewie. Some moments it is used rather poignantly. Yeah, and and it does it does work rather nicely. My thing with this film is I feel like it's two films at war with its with itself, and yeah. and maybe it's because of the time period in which it was made. But there's on one hand there is this kind of big star melodrama, and on the other hand there is this genuinely dark exploration of what it's like to face yeah. the abyss at the end of the world. Yeah. And there's times when it actually is that movie, mm. and it's freaking amazing to see Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, Anthony Perkins and Fred Astaire in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I think that too. Mm. The scenes in San Francisco, I mean, no, this is a show in Melbourne, but those shots of San Francisco of the Golden Gate Bridge being empty, mm. phenomenal. Yep. Yeah, and you wonder how the hell did they, you know, apparently, they, they, bribed the, apparently they bribed the guards. To oh, stop wow. <laughs> <laughs> the internet trivia. Old school. <laughs> um, probably wasn't that hard to get Melbourne empty at that point. Just rock no. up at six in the morning. Um, <laughs> shoot down, uh, what is it, uh, um, Elizabeth Street. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's times where it's, yeah, it's genuinely, um, genuinely chilling. You know, you've got Anthony Perkins having a, a discussion with his wife about a, um, uh, about, possibly you know uh taking a cyanide pill to murder her and her baby and themselves like and you know this is stuff you would not have expected to have seen in this kind of big star movie mm-hmm. from this time also amusing you've got ava gardner fred astaire and anthony perkins playing australians and john million playing an american <laughs> it's bizarre like they're talking about that guy swain and it's like who the guy that goes out by himself He's like, yep. I want to go home and see what's home. And they end up having to kind of cut him loose. And it's like, I recognize that guy. And he's, his accent's great. And you suddenly realize, <laughs> he's an Australian. Why is an Australian <laughs> playing an American in this movie where Americans are playing Australians? <laughs> it's rather bizarre. Um, yeah, funny. They, they did not have, you're right, Stuart, they didn't have the uh, cooperation of the US Department of Defense. They did have a lot of cooperation from, with the Royal Australian Navy, though. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... 
yeah, they and, give them and a they thank got... you at the start of the film, don't they? They're, yeah, yeah. There's a little oh. thanks to them. Yeah, and they got to use a couple of aircraft carriers. Uh, the HM HMAS Melbourne was uh, was one of them. Um, it would have been like when in in the Simpsons when they go to shoot the McBain film in Springfield, and they were all just for it and be like, take whatever you want. And that's just what like Melbourne that. was like when Hollywood was coming yeah. in to shoot on the beach. Just like the Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> I love that everything with Sal comes back to the Simpsons. Always. Um, I love that was... you haven't changed, Sally. <laughs> <laughs> so as well as being shot in the CBD, parts of this were shot around Berwick, Frankston. It's it's hilarious hearing um, Anthony Perkins say he's from Frankston at one point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, a very recognisable Frankston station appears, and at Phillip Island, the actual the race car scenes were, were shot at Phillip Island. The beach scenes were all shot at Cows. Um, yeah, so it's quite stunning for a film shot was sixty one years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I found yeah, like you, Sally. I felt the overlength, and then, yeah, just felt that this kind of I wasn't as much into the melodrama as I was this other film that that would keep coming into into play um but but when it but having said that as a melodrama it's a decent one and as a exploration of kind of yeah staring into the void at the end of the world it's it is really intriguing um and And it's interesting how uh it's free from scenes of mass panic Mm. where it is just a quiet sad finish line yeah it's just um Anthony Perkins' wife in the film, Mary. She's the only one that is sort of really hasn't come to terms with the reality of the situation. Mm. And that is a really intriguing part about it, that mm. there is this acceptance there yeah. that we don't really see in films about, you know, I guess the yeah. world, yeah. Yeah, she's just waiting for death. Um, mm. And the reason she cracks it is because she doesn't want anyone to talk about it. You know, yeah. it's it's, yeah. So, On the Beach is now available to rent or buy via iTunes Movies. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Stewie Richards, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So, grab the microwave popcorn and join us on, uh, join the members of your household. For our last film, for he was one healthy dude, unnaturally healthy. Now I'm talking new drugs here, right? I'm talking 90s, man. Body Melt from 1993 was the first full-length feature film directed by Philip Brophy, Triple R's own Philip Brophy. Uh, apparently, he I, I, he was the host of Eek uh, with Bruce Milne from 1985 to 2002. So there you go. Um, as well as the part of the band is how it's pronounced, apparently. Um, but yes, this was Philip Brophy's uh, full-length feature debut. Uh, the film is about the residents of Pebbles Court in the Melbourne suburb of Holmesville, who are the unknowing test subjects for a new variety of Vimuville diet supplement pills that arrive for free in their mailboxes. The pills are designed to produce the ultimate healthy human, but they have unexpected side effects, including hallucinations, glandular swelling, and grotesque bodily mutilations. Despite the attempts made to warn the townsfolk from a previous test subject undergoing rapid cellular decay, to say the least, he <laughs> arrives too late and all hell breaks loose. Stewie, 
Did you manage to retain your corporeal form while visiting this expose of the nefarious Vimbyville Health Spa? Look, no, I didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you melted completely. Yeah. So I had seen scenes of this film before, but I had never sat down to watch this film in its kind of completeness. I watched it first thing this morning over my morning coffee. Wow. And I think just to sum it up, the film's cooked. Like, <laughs> it is so completely cooked. And I don't think I've seen a film as cooked as this ever. Like, I think this is more cooked than anything John Waters has done. This, uh, that needs to be, like, the tagline for it. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I have no idea what I watched. Like, <laughs> so, like I get that there are these various towns, like uh, these people in this court who are all going to literally blow up. Um, and But then, like, what was with the two guys who drove off to the country and then had, like, this... like Adventures with the Hills Have Eyes family. Yeah, like, what was that? And what did that have to do with the experiment? Like, I just... No idea what was going on. I can, I've, I've seen this movie a lot of times, Stewie. I can tell you how it's all linked. Yeah, because I like I just the entire time I had no idea what was going on, and I was just like waiting for the next explosion, basically. Yeah, so I don't like it's it's a film, like <laughs> it's, it's um, I I I feel I'm I'm responsible for subjecting everybody to body melt this week. Um, this film is really, I, I love this movie. It's really dear to me. It was one that I used to rent a lot when I was in high school and watch with my friends um, on, you know, when we get six for $6. Or this, more like, did you spring it on your friends? Did you invite yeah, them over probably. and go, hey, I've got a movie to watch? Yeah, probably. That was definitely <laughs> that, my style. That explains so much, Sally. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was the kid that... Um, People would come for sleepovers at my house and then they weren't allowed to come back again <laughs> uh, because I'd make them watch things like Body Melt. Uh, so I loved this film. Like I said, Stewie, I've seen it a number of times. And it's re-watching it, one thing that I took away from this was it's it's disgusting. Like this film is so gross. There are so many sequences in this movie that are just absolutely foul. And I was looking at it going, gee, the... The, the gore and the prosthetics and stuff in this are actually really quite good. So I was like, oh, I wonder who did them. And um, it's the his name is Bob McCarran, who is also responsible for Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, which came out the year before, um, which is even I would I would say even grosser than mm. Body Melt. It's, it's up there. It's a neck and neck kind of battle, but yeah, but yeah. So it was really interesting, I guess, to find out that um, the same. We had the same gore working on Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, and then going on to work on Body Melt. I think of the three films that we've looked at tonight, this is for me. This is the one that feels least iconically Melbourne, because we do kind of just see a court. Is it Hopper's Crossing Port? It is. Yeah, it is. Okay, because so, yeah, I didn't know that, and I was trying to figure it out. I was like, where is that? Um, but yeah, this movie is it's fun. It's just it's a gross little film. Um, it's got, that it it's is. got Ian Smith. Years ago, I got him to sign my copy of this, my DVD of this, um, at a neighbor's night. 
I took it along and got him to sign it. Um, Lisa McCune is also in it, who I don't think that she really celebrates this film so much, but she should because it's bloody great. <laughs> she is a child in this film. Yeah, She's she so is. Young. So and young. Scene, and her scene I think is incredible. How <laughs> she ends up. It's great. <laughs> There's a there's a lot of famous early nineties, late eighties, early nineties Australian TV personalities. So many. Everyone like is Andrew Daddo, there's yeah. Brett Climo, there's um uh there's also, you know, Vince Gill from Mad Max, the Knight Rider. Yeah. Um there's uh and of course he Brophy uh rather amusingly casts Jared Kennedy as the head detective, and he was of course famous for homicide. Yes. Playing a detective mm-hmm. on homicide through all the uh through like throughout the 1970s. I had never seen this before. Um, the more I think about this film, the more I dig it. Um, I love it. I, Stewie, I completely agree. This film is cooked. <laughs> but, I, but in the words of Rod Tidwell from Jerry Maguire, but that's what I dig about you, man. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's it's both repellent and fascinating it's i'm not sure why the whole hills have eyes thing had to be there like i get that that i i I sort of could get that it's like i know what the two teenagers were doing because they were being lured to vineville but um for yeah they were being lured to the health farm and they took and they got lost on the way and they ended up at the place with the guy who used to run the, the yeah. And, and the whole thing is like, yeah, the whole resorting to incest so they don't infect anyone else is hilarious. Um, that makes yeah. sense now. <laughs> it's, it's a com- complicated storyline, Stuart. Yeah, that makes but, sense now. But it was actually, that was one of the things I felt myself marvelling at because I did think it was going to be this kind of random collection of grotesqueries. And getting to the end of it, I'm like, it's actually is a fairly kind of tight satire. And mm, yes. it, it's and it's all in like it's like eighty minutes, like it's, it's short, the perfect yeah. length for this yeah. kind of movie. Mm-hmm. The effects are genuinely impressive. Mm. Um, there's so much gore and viscera and tendrils and disgust, like just things like God, people's necks opening up, oh. and like it's just horrendous. The, the one, the thing that gives me, I think, the most bugaboos in this movie is the snot. Yeah. Oh, like it's just it's foul. Yeah. Um this film was apparently nominated for three AFI awards. <laughs> it won a couple, didn't it? Um oh I did not confirm I think, that. I think it won. It, it I think definitely it was it was some? I've got it here as just being nominated. So it was okay. nominated for editing, sound, and costume design mm-hmm. in, in the nineteen ninety three AFI awards. Yeah. So, and it was also nominated for best film at the Sitges Film Festival, um, and yeah, like reviews were mixed, but not as damning at the time as I thought they would have been. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of invention here, and mm-hmm. it's very tongue in cheek. Ian Smith is 100 percent doing Donald Pleasance in this film. There yeah, he is, isn't he? <laughs> he yeah. is. I like the way he announces things. Babies are the ultimate form of parasite. Like, is the kind of thing that Donald Pleasance would come out with. I just, yeah, I just thought this was a trim. And 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 William William McInnes almost felt like Crispin Glover. I don't know if it was just the haircut, but it's just this kind of nerdy, sort of like yeah. you know, off kilter. Yeah, I, I 
I, I, I think I bought what this film was selling. It's, mm. it's not I for do, the squeamish. I do think it's maybe a little bit too incoherent for the satire to work, mm-hmm. but I do love that the satire is there. About and it's like very, of Australian suburbia. Uh, yeah, very much that kind of housing estate kind yeah. of suburbia. The whole um, pivot towards fitness that had begun at mm. that time in the yeah. late 80s, you know, yeah. workouts and health pills and health spas and live your life this way and selling this idealised version. Yeah. And, you know, it gets into all that sort of thing as well, as well as just mountains and mountains of viscera and gore. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it's a little over the top. Uh, <laughs> a little? It's a over the top. Just a smidge. But, but look, if, if you're up for it, I think there's fun to be had here. Oh, there's so much fun to be had with body melt. Like, love it, love it. I laugh a lot. I must. <laughs> <laughs> so Body Melt is now streaming on SPS On Demand and is also available to rent or buy from uh, YouTube movies, iTunes movies, and Google Play. You're listening to Problem Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Stewie Richards, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We discussed Death in Brunswick, now streaming on SBS On Demand and Amazon Prime Video, On the Beach, now available to rent or buy via iTunes Movies, and Body Melt, now streaming on SBS On Demand and rent, uh, rentable and buyable on YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play. You can also find Primal Screen on Facebook at Primal Screen Podcast and Instagram at Primal underscore, underscore Screen underscore Film. What have we got next week? Check our socials during the week to find out. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, to Killer Carl Chapman. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 